previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I was like, we deserve what we get. I mean, when you run an organization as badly as the Cowboys have been ran um, maybe the last five or ten years, we deserve what we get. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. With baseball, there's a romanticism that is unmatched by any other sport. There's no other sport where the numbers are more meaningful than in America's pastime. And there's no more hallowed place than Cooperstown and the Baseball Hall of Fame, which announced its 2021 class on January 26th. Who will share the stage with 2020 electees Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and the late Marvin Miller? Will players of the steroid era languishing on the ballot finally have their day? And will any of the new nominees transcend to baseball immortality? In this episode, I am joined by a panel of baseball fans who give their thoughts on what makes a Hall of Famer, their thoughts on what players who fell off the ballot should be in the Hall of Fame, and who will go in this year. Members of the panel include previous guests such as Ben Penserga, Theran Dennis, Vinny Veradarajan, Jeffrey Scott, Ronnie Day, and newest guest, Brandon Burns. Right now, here is our 2021 Baseball Hall of Fame discussion. The theme of this episode is the Baseball Hall of Fame. The announcements are coming out on the 26th of January. And one of the things that we always talk about is what makes a Hall of Famer? How can you tell when someone is a Hall of Famer? And I feel like with so much discussion going on, especially because there hasn't been much really to talk about, I decided to bring in a roundtable panel to get their thoughts on who should be in the Hall of Fame, fan thoughts, as well as to find out why they love baseball so much. So starting off, my first guest, you've seen him on the show a few times, and he is the host of the Movies in the Meal podcast. This is Ben Penserga. Ben, how are you doing? Doing all right. Just happy to be here and uh, actually happy to see and talk to a lot of friends that I haven't seen or talked to in a long time. So this is fun. Another guest to the show, and he's been on a couple of Tandem episodes, Theran Dennis, a.k.a. Sparky McGriddlecakes. Our next guest, someone you've seen, he was on TV. You now he went a little wild on Sports Jeopardy, and a lot of you guys may have seen his feats. This is Vinny Veradarajan, who, again, you've seen a previous episode, and he was also on a recent part of our compilation episode of the teams that did not make the NFL playoffs. Vinny, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Earl. Another guest you've seen on the show before, Jeff Scott. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Again, thank you for being here. Another guest that you've seen on here, tell me if you heard this before. She and her sister, Nicole, were on a recent episode where they discussed their fandom of sports and, and just everything under the sun. Ronnie Day, Veronica Day, how, what do you prefer, Ronnie? Uh, Veronica, Ronnie doesn't matter. <laughs> Again, thank you for being here, Ronnie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And now my next guest of well, someone I first met when I was covering a minor league baseball with the Dunwater Shorebirds. He's been all around, and he is very unique because he is a Miami Dolphins fan in Pittsburgh. Brandon Burns, how are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get chatting some baseball tonight. These are debates that we've had all the time, all of us, about who is a Hall of Famer and what consists of being a Hall of Famer. And I'm glad to have you guys here because I wanted to open up the floor to you guys and give your thoughts on everything that's going on. The first thing I wanted to ask you guys as we go around and we'll start from Ben, work our way all the way down to Brandon is to you, why do you love baseball so much and what does the game mean to you? Well, 
like baseball was actually the first sport I actually started following when I was a kid, and the Orioles were the first team I started rooting for as a kid. So just being first and combing through all the baseball cards that my brother had from like the late seventies and the eighties, and then getting a baseball card collecting myself back in the you know early nineties, and just getting sucked into the sport, and we all kind of gravitate. I mean, I was never going to play professionally or whatever, but um, you know, you gravitate to different sides of the sport obviously i still love the orioles even though um you know they just rip my heart out a lot of the times but i still love the game and i guess my like main pool probably is still kind of uniforms and and hats and things like that which i still have a you know collection and probably have a weird esoteric uh, obsession with but the orioles of baseball will forever be my first team my first sport that i'll follow and um That'll be the last ones I quit whenever I, I quit sports or if that ever happens. Um, the Orioles will be the last ones. And Theran, how about you? Oh, man, what's there not to love? Well, like Ben, baseball is really the first sport I began to follow and that I played recreationally with others. So not to trivialize life into a game uh, per se, but I think baseball is most indicative of what we endure in life. Because it's ultimately about how you handle failure. And um, I love the team concept as far as you being the best player or I guess in the grand scheme of life, the best person you can be as far as being responsible, accountable, and being able to contribute to the whole of society, the community, which, you know, as a player, the whole team. I I like how you balance or... Rather, I love the duality of those two perspectives of the game, rather, both as a player and as a fan. We all have dreams. I want to be a major league outfielder or ball player of some sort, but, you know, reality kicks in. But <laughs> you always have fanhood to hold on to. And, and nowadays, when I look at the game, I just appreciate how good these guys are, man. And I tell you what, the game is just... Just full of talented, like, I mean, not to say the game hasn't always been full of talented players, but, I mean, as far as my recollection is concerned, you know, as far as long as I've been keeping up with the game, you have so many, like, notable names, so many reasons to follow, like, all the teams nowadays, Uh, in addition to, you know, having guys, you know, following guys through your fantasy squads. But, um, yeah, these guys, they, they made the game look good and and fun to watch. Vinny, what about you? What is it about baseball that you love, and how did you find the game? (laughs) It sounds corny, but it's it's romantic. Baseball is timeless. For now, at least there's no clock. It's the one place where you can take a souvenir home. Um, Baseball is numbers. Like, we all know what 714 is, or 755, or now 762. We know uh, 3,000 hits. We know what that means. We know the 406 batting average. And it's you know, baseball is more of a regional sport now than a national pastime, but we all have connections to our teams. I'm a Yankees fan. I was able to uh, watch uh, all the Yankees games growing up during the and being seven years old and the Yankees when it's the only sport where like anything can happen, like truly like the impossible can happen, quoting Vin Scully. And Jeff, uh, to you, what is it about baseball that you love and, and how did you get drawn to it? Baseball, what can you say about it? It's America's pastime. Um, I grew up playing because my father got me into it. Of course, I was drawn to the Orioles because, you know, they're the regional team. Ended up playing with you, Earl, playing against uh, a bunch of different people growing up. You know, you, me, Eddie, and Brian, and a bunch of us went to the Shorebirds. 
remember the one time we were there and I jumped over three uh, rows of seats to get a foul ball. And Eddie uh, famously quoted it as Shamu jumping over the seats to get it. And uh, it was something, you know, and um, had a good time just going to the Shorebirds. I mean, we always go to the Orioles, but, uh, and you know, I love collecting bobbleheads. I don't know if I have as many as uh, Ben. You know, for me, it's always been, it's like a family tradition, you know, you play and go to the games with everybody. And um, before COVID hit, you know, my daughter, she's almost two now. I mean, it's something, you know, I drag Marlene to the games. She might read a book every once in a while, but she at least knows who the players on the Orioles are. It's something you can do with the entire family and not break the bank. Unless you drive a beer, which is 15 bucks, then you're like, you know. I always carry my uh, fan fist, you know, that that thing's just about demolished now, but it's still going strong. And, I mean, you can always go and just have a good time. I mean, what's the traditional thing? Get a box of Cracker Jacks, a hot dog, and a and a cold drink, sit back and have fun. There's no true words about that. Ronnie, what is it about baseball that you've been drawn to and that you love about it? Kind of similar to everybody else is saying, I mean, I've been a baseball fan since I was very, very little. So it's kind of just been a part of my life. So it's like, it's just been a part of my life since I was little. And it's like, Ben said it was the first sport that I really got into. So that was, and then baseball is unique. I mean, you, your team can be down like 10 to zero. You know, you might turn it off in frustration, you turn it back in an hour and they're like chipping away. Next thing you know, your team wins on a bottom of the ninth game winning home run or whatever. And that's something you don't say get in other sports because you're, you know, with other sports, you're limited by the time clock. Anything can happen in baseball. You know, just when you think you've seen it all, something else happens. It's just funny. Going to a baseball game is so much fun. You're out there in the field. It's like with footballs in the wintertime and basketballs indoors. But baseball is outside in the summer unless you get a really bad rain delay or whatever. But it's beautiful when you go there. The ballpark's beautiful. Camden Yards is absolutely Every time I go there, it's like I'm the first time. The field's beautiful, and it's just a really great game, and it's something that I probably will always invest in. And like even with the Orioles, how frustrating they make me, especially after they, they didn't resign Adam Jones. It's like I always go back to the Orioles no matter what. So it's just something that will always be in my life. And Brandon, how about you? For me, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I started off playing t-ball all the way up through high school. So, you know, when I was especially looking for colleges, you know, sports was kind of my thing. So I, I know I went into the sport management field thinking that one day I'm going to be the next Theo Epstein. You know, I grew up, you know, in Philly's country and I was a Mets fan. So, you know, I was always going against the grain, you know, from that start. But, you know, I grew up playing those video games, making all those ridiculous trades with the computer and, you know, assembling those teams. So I had aspirations to one day maybe be a general manager or an agent. But then, you know, I really got into, you know, for me, um, you know, meeting you know Earl and Ben at the Shorebirds, you know. You know, I could have never thought that my internship of uh, being Sherman the Shorebird and then being the on-field MC and really, you know, seeing the business side of things and selling tickets to the Eastern Shore, you know, really brought joy for me and seeing the backbone of that community aspect, which uh, everybody has kind of already mentioned and really, you know, driving home that point, not only for us, but for future generations to really love that game. I know one of the things that we're going to discuss, of course, as the show goes on, is what defines a Hall of Famer. We'll go real quick about that around starting with Ben. You know, I think it's already been mentioned, but baseball is like the most kind of numbers defining sport, especially for the Hall of Fame. It's like we said, 3,000 hits, 300 wins, even though that's probably not going to happen again, 500 home runs. Those are the benchmarks. And if you can get there or close, you're probably a Hall of Famer, which there's no magic benchmark for 
basketball or football, right? I mean, we can't be like, oh, Antoine Jameson, he just needs to score 30 more points and then he'll have 20,000 for a career. And that pretty much will seal him getting in the Hall of Fame. It, it doesn't work like that. But at the same time, it's just like, I think the older generation, it was a sight test. Like, you just had a feeling. You're like, oh, this guy is a Hall of Famer. And now with the sabermetrics, now you have the numbers to quantify it as well. And that works both ways. I think there are people that maybe, like, when I was growing up, people thought I would have thought was a, a Hall of Famer, but maybe the numbers don't prove it. But then the other way, you can use numbers to get guys like Tim Raines or, uh, you know, Harold Baines. I know he's kind of the most iffiest one, but, I mean, he's kind of a local guy and, like, at least you can parse through the numbers now and kind of just make a case either way. So, like for me, I'm still a little bit more old school and it's the sight test to me and just a gut feeling more so. And then the numbers will just kind of prove me right, I guess. So that's my take. Durant, how about you? Yeah, I'm largely with Ben in that regard. I try to remember how how grateful uh, these guys made the game look. Uh, especially in big-time games. One guy we're going to go over, we're going to talk about him, sure, pretty soon, Kurt Schilling. It's like every postseason game I watched, so I'm 32, so I don't really know the 93 Kurt Schilling and, and how that run went. I'd have to go through the archives to check that out. But I just remember from watching him in, in the 01 series when I was reading for the D-backs and then watching him in, in 04 during that run where I think he became a GOAT during that stretch. Especially, you know, having to endure the horrors of going through whatever was going on in his ankle, through the bleeding sock, that whole thing. But it was really like watching like an epic every time he was on the mound. It really was. And that excitement, and not every player is going to experience it the way that Schilling did. But I, I try to like remember that excitement. And and I think of, well, has this guy, you know, made me feel anywhere close to that. Even like while watching him, like say like, during the dog days of August, where the simplicity of an at-bat, like how exciting, like did you make that at-bat? Like did you fight, like were you able to configure, like were you able to get into the pitcher's mind? Like were you able to hang in there, you know? It's, it's that whole like enduring like the struggles you go through through the daily, you know? So that's what I try to keep in mind. And in addition to, like I was saying, I agree with Ben about the benchmarks, you know, 3,000 hits, 500 homers, 300 average. I may take that down to 280. I feel like if you can finish, at least 280, I feel like you were a solid hitter. But yeah, you look for consistency too in that regard. Vinny, how about you? What makes a Hall of Famer? I think the joy and curse in this decision is that it's purely subjective. The magic numbers, yeah, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 wins, or, you know, how many Cy Young awards, like your playoffs. I mean, a lot of it too is a wow factor. There's that whole side, you know, unfortunately we have to talk about. But, you know, there, there are some players that really wow you. Um, you know, it could be Mariano Rivera. You know, he's like the close clutch player in the ninth inning. 2001 nuts withstanding, unfortunately. Randy Johnson, same thing. Like, did you want to be facing Randy Johnson with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball heading up to your head? Like John Cruck and Larry Walker were like, no, we're not going to do this in the All-Star game. Classic. The bird and, like, the him shoving the New York cameraman when he, like, joined the game. These were, like, like my highlights of his off-the-field encounters. But <laughs> What do you feel makes a Hall of Famer, Jeff? Besides the numbers, you have to have attitude, you know, for the sportsmanship. You know, I'm not going to mention Cal, but what about Ichiro? I was watching a video of him the other day. It's it's also talent and raw ability. I don't know if you knew uh, baseball or the Facebook site. They showed a video of Ichiro throwing a ball at the foul pole from home plate, and it hit the foul pole right where he threw it at. It's more than that, but putting the effort in day by day, just doing what you have to do. I mean, there are some people like Griffey that had the God-given talent. He still does what he had to do. People like that, there's just no competition. 
But then, you know, you have Gary Sheffield. I saw um, something that said, was he the top uh, batter of the 90s? And I discussed that with uh, one of my coworkers. He said he was maybe one of the top 10, but he was not the first. But he always had a piss poor attitude. That's one of the reasons why I did not like him. Always running people over or pushing them down or, you know, it's just, yeah, he was good. But is he Hall of Fame worthy? I don't know. You go along with the stats, you have Marshawn Lynch, you know. He was great. Is he Hall of Fame worthy? Yeah. It's more than ability. It's You have to have the it factor. Jeter was talented. But he also had a great attitude. Like my dad always used to say to me during baseball games when I watched with him, I've told you this, fundamental baseball. It's more than flashy attitude. Two hands. Run a play out. I know that's one of the things I hate to see is, you know, when somebody's run the play out, you know, put in effort, hustle. Manny got that big payday through it, $364 million or whatever it was. Just because you get the big payday doesn't mean you stop doing it. Yeah, Manny Machado you're talking about. I still want to see you hustling. Now that you got that big payday, you should be hustling even more. What it means to me is, you know, I go to the game to enjoy watching you play, not seeing you be as flash as you can be, because that's when you start to make more errors. But that's what I think of a Hall of Famer. Ronnie, what about you? What do you feel makes a Hall of Famer? Um, Besides the numbers, I mean, that's a huge thing. I think also consistency. You want somebody who, on a consistent basis, they came up and out saying, you know, you had to have 40 plus home runs a year, but just somebody that, you know, day in and day out, you know, is going to be there for your team. And I think, and also what they contributed to their team. I like to say it's like if you put a highlight reel of a team, there is a type of person who's going to be featured in the highlight reel. And not just home runs, but I know this is a dying art, but like putting down a bunt to sacrifice your team, to sacrifice for yourself or your team, or running out a play, like you said. Also, if you're a defensive player, are you doing that what you need? Like if it's in the bottom of the night, the other team is making a comeback, did you say that run? So I think it has to do with like what he said as well, like it's your attitude. I think when you have somebody who is an ambassador for the game, I think they definitely should be in there because you have people, you know, who have to just go out there and you can know that they truly enjoy the game and they love it. And they're not just doing it for the money and fame. And I think, not that I'm saying these younger guys aren't going to be like that, but I think when you get people like Machado and Harper, they get these big bonuses, you know, they don't have to work for anything. You know, they came up when they were 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, and it's not even that, I know rookies just have to kind of work their way up. They couldn't play their music in the clubhouse they had to do this it's like they don't make these guys work for anything so I think that when you look at somebody like Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken they played all those years for one team they gave their heart to that team they didn't leave you know and we know Cal could have left you know Cal could have left sure he could have got money in another market but when you look at those two you know that they stand out in my mind when you think of Hall of Fame you know and I know it's hard to kind of be like does this person deserve because they're not necessarily a nice person but it's like that does factor in because you know you want to see the good guys win you want to see the ones who did the best for the game and promoted the game like you know Ken Griffey Jr yeah he was raw talent and he was somebody who didn't have to work for it, but he also was a huge ambassador for the game you know I think when he came in you know he kind of did a spark got people back into baseball so I think it's a whole bunch of things but I do think that you know, who the person is needs to really kind of factor into that. Brandon, what about you? What do you feel makes a Hall of Famer? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, as we have all kind of mentioned, you know, numbers is a huge proponent of this. But, you know, as we look at the Hall of Fame, and that's the place where we're really telling the story of the 100 years of baseball. So, you know, as I look at a Hall of Famer, you know, I'm really looking at those players that if you take them out of their era, they're going to pale in comparison across any era. A lot of the guys that, you know, we'll be potentially talking about later on, you know, if you looked at them in the 90s, the 80s, you know, even back to the 70s or, you know, the guys at the Veterans Committee, if you took them out of the era of baseball, would that story still be the same? You know, would we be at the same spot with the game as we might be today without those individuals? So, you know, really looking 
thinking, you know, beyond everything in that regard, that's where I really look at. And as Ben kind of mentioned, that eye test, a lot of the players now, they're hell bent on their legacy. You know, I've never heard so many athletes talk about their legacy when they're still playing. You know, let people decide that when you're done. Don't be worried about that while you're in your second, your third, your fourth year. Let your career play out. Then let's make that decision, which I think that's where we're kind of at with making this Hall of Fame debate. And that's a good point. And I feel like things have changed over the years. Maybe it's such a generational thing where people are already trying to, I mean, we always just say, okay, this guy could be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer down the road. But who knows? So many things can change. You could be on a great trend at up to 30 and then completely fall off. I mean, and, and that'll be one of the people we're going to talk about as well, referring to Andrew Jones. But one of the things I wanted to get to, it's a selection process. We'll go around this really quickly just to get a little more uh, stuff in. What do you think about it? I know that in the past they've cut down the years of eligibility from 15 years to 10 before, and writers can only pick 10. Starting with Ben, what do you feel about the selection process? And do you think there should be changes? And if so, what? I don't mind, actually, the cut down between 10 and 15 year uh, eligibility because, right, that's the thing. We talk about eye test. We know if you're a Hall of Famer or not. I mean, for the most part, I don't know if the extra five years will do it. Now, 10 years still allows you to make a case. And if we look at baseball differently through, like, sabermetrics and, again, like, Tim Raines is a good example probably, right, as, as someone who we're like, okay, he's good. But was he is he better than Ricky Henderson? No, so they should be in the Hall of Fame. But then when you actually break down his numbers and as we kind of really cut through it and just about his value to the game and what a big disruptor he was and what a big factory was, like an actual game day to day. Okay, it builds, the momentum builds, but I just don't know if you need fifteen years. Um there are a lot of people I look on, you know, you sent us the who's going to be on the on the ballot for the first year. There are a lot of guys I like. And there are a lot of guys, if I was playing kind of fantasy GM um, or, you know, like in their prime, I would have loved to have them for the Orioles. But they're going to be below the cut. I don't mind seeing them get cut right away or whatever because um, we still have a lot of good players out there. You know, this year is kind of like the pause before we get to the real uh, – we're really getting to a bigger class of – of guys coming through for the next two, three, four years. So this is a good year to really take a hard look at those also rands, I guess, and see if we can get them in before, because it's just going to get clogged. I mean, it happens sometimes. I remember that class uh, when it was like George Brett and Nolan Ryan and uh, Robin Yao. And, uh, you know, Carlton Fisk had to wait a year. And Carlton Fisk is as much a Hall of Famer as any of those guys, especially in a catching position. But you just got to wait. But the circle back to my main point, if you're a Hall of Famer, they'll figure it out in 10 years. You don't have to have 15. So I don't mind. Again, I don't mind that. And if you're a real special case, then you still have the Veterans Committee and you know guys like Harold Baines and you know we'll go talk about you know Marvin Miller, Ted Simmons. Um, they'll get in. You'll get your recognition. So, Duran, what about you? Well, to be quite honest, I don't necessarily pay attention to the process as much as I pay attention to the the class of players who are considered. Uh, or, or, or the new class worth considering. But to Ben's point, I think, and just thinking back on my hardcore baseball watching days from years ago, you know who's a Hall of Famer. I think nowadays, as I was saying, uh, the guys collectively are just more talented. And so it's becoming harder and harder, I think, as a player to stand out Hall of Fame-wise, uh, which I think 
overall is good for the game because, as I was saying earlier, it gives you reason to, to look all around, to look at every team, to see what every franchise is working on and who's going to represent you know, each franchise into the, to each respective you know, future. But I think 10 years is fine. Again, I don't know how many numbers you have to dip through to line them up era-wise or whatnot. I mean, I guess you just know and you just kind of go with that, you know. So I think the process is fine, and I just think the players. Uh, Vinny, what about you? Yeah, I think the 10 years is fine, but I think there's still some flaws in how the voting happens. Like, you have certain sports writers who just will never vote for somebody on the first pick, so they never have a unanimous decision. Um, you also don't have open ballots. It would be nice if you know they can explain why they picked who. I think a couple of years ago, Dan Lettard, uh, he gave his uh, ballot to Deadspin, and Deadspin just allowed the people to vote, and they had a really good ballot. So that's just to show that like, baseball fans can vote as well. And and to their credit, Baseball Writers of America, they did like get rid of people who just aren't covering baseball anymore. But there's also like new media coming in. You don't have to be strictly print now. You know, you're going to see changes as well. You're going to see uh, players that may have not fit the old mold of a Hall of Famer, which was just strictly numbers or you know, maybe they weren't uh, nice to the media. Maybe they won't care anymore. And so uh, I look forward to seeing what the changes are going to be. But it's always ever evolving. Like you said earlier, like 15 years I worked for Tim Raines or maybe um, Jim Ross, I think, is another one who got in on this last year. But if they can't make it in 10 years, you do have the Veterans Committee, which I think has gotten better. But unfortunately, we all know the Veterans Committee seems to be an old boys club where it's like, who you know, not, not like, depending on how talented you are, if you get lucky in that. So I think they're going to work on changing it to make it better. But that's a good thing about the Hall of Fame. I think they're the most selective of all the sports like other sports you'll see like five six always inducted every year like baseball and mean something get hall of famer jeff what about you you know like uh thran said you know sometimes i don't follow so much the process as i do pay attention to who gets in but you know sometimes just because someone who was say like a uh, ben said carlton fisk didn't get in the first time i mean even though he is a phenomenal player they're always next year i mean uh like we found out this year roger clemens we found out he was on steroids i mean before he didn't even need to use them and like uh barry bonds do they even deserve to go in i mean in my opinion no but they get in i think it's a travesty but i think what Vinny said you know allow the fans to vote i think that would be a great idea but that's just my opinion Ronnie, to you, what do you feel the process should be? Should they change it? or? Um, I don't know. I, I think you can always work to improve anything. And I, for one, was okay with the 15 years because I feel like it kind of gives people who are kind of missing it and maybe gives them that last extra push. But like they said, you know, 10 years does seem sufficient. I don't know about, I kind of feel like fans should maybe have an input, but at the same time, then it becomes, it doesn't become a popularity contest. So then if you open up to fans, is it really going to be the best people? So I don't know. It's just one of those things. I think they're working on it. So I think right now it's okay. I do think there could be some glitches that could be worked out, but that's with anything. But I think as time goes on, it'll work itself out. Brandon, to you, what do you think about the process? Yeah, I truly think the process, you know, as Vinny uh, mentioned earlier, you know, having the open ballots and, uh, you know, really having that explanation of why, you know, individuals are voting for who they're they are or not is going to be a huge thing, especially as we're progressing in this new technology age. You know, thinking back to teams used to have one beat writer that used to write for the local paper, and that's who they reported out to the AP. So, you know, now, you know, looking at the Pirates here locally, they have 
six guys that report out stories and they might have an issue with the right fielder or the center fielder or whatever the case may be. And a lot of those personal vendettas, you know, have seemed to percolate with the baseball writers over the years. But, uh, you know, cutting down to 15 to 10, I mean, that that's an easy perspective. You can easily make that case for somebody in that 10 years. But, uh, you know, really, I think open the ballot up. If you think that there's 15 Hall of Famers on a ballot, let them vote for 15. If you think there's three, let them vote for three, but just be able to justify that decision if you have that opportunity. So, And my one thing, was, as it was mentioned earlier, is that someone's going to be a Hall of Famer, whether you vote for them the first year or the second year, and their stats are not changing at all at any point. It's not going to get better. There are people who were snubbed in the Hall of Fame. We can always talk about Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray, Ken Rosenthal basically had a badge of honor that he did not vote for Eddie Murray. He and Eddie Murray did not get along. And there's a belief that Ken Rosenthal was part of the the group that uh, ran Eddie Murray out of Baltimore. But that is a different story for a different time. But that is a prime example. Bob Costas, who we can all say is a baseball historian, didn't have a vote. I don't think he still does have a vote, but a guy like him should have a vote. And and it took a long time for guys who are outside of traditional print media to get a shot. And I think that's that was my only thing. As long as you let baseball bloggers who are dedicated baseball bloggers, baseball journals who cover it all the time, that's my only thing about it but other than that the length i've got accustomed to 15 to 10 so i think that that's something i can get used to sabermetrics that's the new math and some people consider voodoo and all this other stuff that beyond me the old eye test but what do you guys think about sabermetrics it's a waste of time ben what do you think um you know i have mixed feelings about it again i think all information that we can use to analyze and decide who the best players are you know that's fine i mean i think that's what it should be personally sometimes i don't like it when new schoolers will hate on people that i liked back in the day and like oh well he wasn't that good just blah 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 or, you know the, the defensive metrics you know blah, blah 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 but that's just a personal thing for me again if it helps actual good players get recognized um and not again kind of eliminate what we were saying about um Baseball writers might have a personal beef with somebody and not voting because they don't like them. The we have more numbers, the more people understand and make a case for that person to get in the Hall of Fame. I go for it. It's not my thing. I'll never be a guy. I still have to look up warp and things like that. But, um, you know, more power to you. And uh, the more numbers we have uh, to figure out what's the best, then, yeah, sure, go for it. I know, Thran, you mentioned that already that you think it's a bit of a waste of time. But uh, you want to expound on that just a little bit? All right. I think the less numbers, the better. I just take what I see, you know, what I see on the field. I just remember guys in, in moments ranging from they had bats in the postseason to just watching how they run out, say, a ground ball or how they position themselves to throw out a guy you know, at home or something like that, or watching how, uh, observing how uh, the rhythm of them taking a lead off of first before stealing second or something like that. Like, if these are like little things, like the, the nuances for those you know, who've played, things that you're taught growing up. I watch how these guys at the major league level execute them at the highest. And I just compare what I see from that standpoint. So I've never cared for sabermetrics. I'm old, old school. I'll go back to the days of just being there and just going from there. Vinny, how about you? I think it does give more players a little bit more leverage. And, and yeah, like not everyone's going to be a star player. Not everyone's going to have the opportunity to go to the playoffs and to have their moment in the sun. You know, there's some players who are all-stars every year, but, you know, they just in the all-star game. That's all they did. And sometimes that's not enough. 
I think it's funny that sabermetrics have actually emphasized how good actual Hall of Fame players are. Bill Morgan's the classic example. When he passed away, you know, last year in 2020, the thoughts were like he was probably one of the greatest second basemen ever. And not only was it his leadership on the field, his two MVPs, but it was sabermetrics that really showed like how valuable he was to that big red machine. And you know, Joe Morgan, the player, actually hated Joe Morgan, the sabermetric guy. He was like, you know, Joe Morgan would never do this. And so. You know, there's got to be a healthy dose of it, but I do agree that you go with your gut instinct. I kind of like, like, a Dusty Day who manages with his gut in the same way, like a player with a gut. You know, like, you know, think of, like, Willie Pop Stargell. His war was terrible. I think the MVP season 79, he had, like, two war, but he was, like, a leader. He was the guy who everyone depended on. He's like, just hop on my back and I'll take you to the World Series. So I think I, I still fall more towards the eye test. But I'm open to like Saber Metrics, like Tim Raines, like I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. I think he was a great player. And I remember him honestly more as a Yankee because I was too young when he played for the Expos. But it is good to see some players, at least they're not left in the dust. And I think that is healthy to have a better perspective for other players who just weren't able to have the shine because they didn't have the opportunity. Jeff, what do you think about Saber Metrics? It's nice to have the stats available. But one thing that I probably detest the most that Sabermetrics is used for is the ship. They can tell where somebody's going to hit it all the time. I mean, it sometimes I love it, and sometimes it takes away from the game. You know, but it's good for the young players to have the ability to use the film that they can uh, watch what they're doing wrong, or, you know, they can take their stats and improve their game. You know what I mean? It's another tool in their uh, bag to use, but that's just one of my only complaints. I think it's a good thing to use. And that's what Tony Gwynn did in the beginning of his career. He used video analytics, you know, in the 80s, just to focus on his swing to become a Hall of Fame baseball player. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, honestly. And I get tired of hearing about it. But I mean, I know it, it, it is useful, like with the shift. That is something that we've seen be beneficial. But at the same time, it's like you're just over it. So I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it. But I mean, if it's helpful, but I think, I think they put too much emphasis on it. And I think that kind of, they need to kind of not use it as much. Brandon. Uh, honestly, I, I think sabermetrics is a fad. Uh, I mean, as we look at it, um, you know, we mentioned the shift earlier here today. But, you know, looking at the way that the game is played, when we even consider this debate of Hall of Famers, we all talk numbers. Is the way that the game's going to be played for the next 10 to 15 years, if we're truly looking at sabermetrics, are these players going to compare to the players of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and some of the numbers that they put up. Also, too, you know, really overthinking decisions. You know, we all saw in the World Series, could Tampa Bay be our World Series champion if Cash did not take Blake Snell out of the game? He was dealing. So in that regard, you know, for a lot of these starting pitchers, is 300 ever going to be an achievable mark again? You know, are we going to have to reset benchmarks at Mm. 250? Hell, even 200 wins, is that going to be the new benchmark? Yeah, and that's definitely true. I know that we were talking about sabermetrics, and Earl Weaver was an early believer of sabermetrics. He had the index cards and doing the splits and things like that. I think sabermetrics is good to a point, but it starts going overboard. Honestly, looking at war, war, for example, is not even a consistent stat going on three different websites. So Baseball America, Baseball Reference, they have a different definition of how they compile war. So to me, the things you should go buy in a sport where there's uneven stadiums, you go buy... You go by on-base percentage. You go by slugging. Those things will not change. For pitching, you go by whip. ERA, again, you deal with inherited runners and things like that. But whip is pretty much a good determinant of a player, even though sometimes you, you can outperform your stats and have a great season. There's always Rick Helling, who won 20 games and had a 5 ERA. But, you know, still, anomalies happen. So that's my one thing about it. And I think that, like the NFL is a copycat league, once they saw Billy Bean doing it, 
everybody started doing it. The Red Sox are basically the A's with money and, and all these other teams that are doing it. I will say this, Sabermetrics probably did help Edgar Martinez get in, even though his numbers were hampered by injuries, not being called up to the majors till he was 26, 27. And there are some people it helps. But again, I'm all for using certain stats. Other things are just ridiculous and they aren't even worth using. But those are certain determinants. As we keep moving on, we're going to talk about the steroid era a little bit later because some of these names are going to be part of it. If you guys can give one player that you think who their 10 years were up or they didn't get vote in, they got low vote totals, that should be in the Hall of Fame and we're not counting the people who got suspended for betting. So no Pete Rose, no Chulis <laughs> no Joe, none of those, no Eddie Seacott, none of those guys. People you think should be in the Hall of Fame that didn't get their shot. I have a person and I think a lot of people maybe agree, if, especially with some of the other things that have occurred already. Ben? I'm probably at the risk of contradicting myself from my earlier point about 10 years, 15 years. One guy I just think got the short stick was Kenny Lofton. He was only on the ballot one year. He didn't even make uh, the requisite amount of uh, percentages to get considered again. But, you know, he was a different kind of guy. He, was, he reminds me a little bit of Tim Raines. We're talking about that. Those traditional leadoff guys. He was kind of in that in-between role in the 80s and 90s when – just, you know, 80s were all about stolen bases. And then as we got into the 90s and today with the power, you know, whether it was enhanced or not and everything else, like you just didn't want to risk stealing the bases. But, you know, Kenny Lofton was pretty dominant. I know maybe his rep got hurt a little bit just because he played with a lot of teams, but he was always good. You know, Indians and the Braves and he, you know, just everywhere he played, he was good. And I was looking at his baseball reference, too. It's favorable to guys like Tim Raines, Ichiro. A lot of his numbers are pretty comparable, maybe a, a notch below. But, again, if you want to argue, I mean, that's what the arguing is for. That's what the eye test will kind of help just decipher and make be the ultimate decision of, is this guy a Hall of Famer or just a Hall of Very Good guy? So that's the only guy. I would throw out Kenny Lofton. Hey, Theran, to you, who do you think should be in the Hall of Fame that's not on the ballot anymore but has a good case? Honestly, I don't really know too many players in this position. I guess a name that floats around every now and then, uh, Fred McGriff. Really, I just think that he was uh, it was kind of a model of consistency. He maintained uh, the all-star status in both uh, both the American National Leagues. Uh, he was a part of those brave scenes that were perennial playoff contenders. And plus, I always loved him in those uh, Tommy Mansky commercials. And also, he was a part of a... Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, I don't really have too much. <laughs> he, he was part of a good Blue Jays team as well in the mid to late 80s. But I, I think the one thing is, just looking up his stats, he oh, led the right. league in homers right. twice. That was... Once with the Blue Jays, once with the 92 Padres. But actually, you know, apparently he played a big role in the, well, I think he's one of the guys that played a big role in the Blue Jays basically coming back from under 500 to winning the division in 89. So that's the one thing. And I know we're going to say now with Harold Baines in, Fred McGriff is probably one of the people that should get in over Harold Baines. I, I, again, the Harold Baines factor, he lost a number because of part of 94-95, but Fred McGriff is three to four homers away from 500, and then you can't argue with that. Yeah, I think it's a 497. 493. No, 493. Yeah, you look at yeah, that. Yeah, 493, yeah. Yeah, he could have had a good stretch in 94, early part of 95, where he could have easily got those numbers and he sort of cratered out. Uh, Vinny, to you, who do you think should be in the Hall of Fame whose time on the ballot has passed? Okay, um, I initially was going to say Gil Hodges, but not ever seeing him play. He was like too far away. I'm going to go to another player. You might know him as 
actor and actor, uh, Elaine's boyfriend on Seinfeld. Um, his name is Keith Hernandez. I honestly think he's the best defensive first baseman ever. He's also a 1979 MVP. He won two World Series, one with the Cards in 82 and one with the Mets in 86. He was the captain of the Mets. He was the leader of the Mets in the 80s. They rerouted like plays through him. People were scared to bunt towards him, so he made changes in, in how defense was played. He also was able to be a consistent hitter on those like really difficult New York teams with Gary Carter, with George Foster, with Daryl Strawberry. I mean, he really was like the leader of those Mets. And he had a pretty good prime. Like the prime was there for about 12 seasons. So it's not like he fell off a cliff all like Dale Murphy. Um, the injuries did like, you know, kick him to the curb like by age 35, but he still played a good solid like 15, 16 seasons. And so I don't, I don't think he ever got 5% or if he did, he didn't get really high up. And I wonder like with Keith Hernandez, it, it's surprising. And I think there's probably sabermetrics in terms of defense that really would help him. But I think as a leader too, like how many people like, when you think of players in the 80s, how many people say Keith Hernandez? Like they knew who he was. He was popular. He had the eye test. You know, he played in the under scrutiny in the biggest market. And the late 80s were the, you know, one of the few times where the Mets ran the show. You know, it was a Mets town. New York was a Mets town. It wasn't a Yankees town. And so that's where I think that um, he was overlooked. And I don't know if the Veterans Committee will ever get there, but he would be Hall of Fame worthy in my, in my book. Jeff, to you, who do you think is Hall of Fame worthy that's not on the ballot anymore? The Rams stole mine, you know, Fry McGriff. <laughs> so I uh, had to quickly look up a few. So let's see. I'll just pick a name from this list mm-hmm. since you uh, got me, Thran. How about this? Jesse Haynes. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> is that a dead ball? <laughs> Huh? Is he a dead ball era player? <laughs> yeah, he's he's got to be dead for like 80 years or something. <laughs> I told you, Duran got me. I, I was ready to, uh, to argue that. He's from the old time of baseball days. I can let you come back while you look at the, look for somebody. All right, go ahead. Uh, All Ronnie, right, go ahead. Ronnie, to you, who do you think who's not on the ballot anymore should be in the Hall of Fame? You know what? I, it's like it's really hard because you don't think about it. Like, for instance, I didn't realize Fred McGriff wasn't in the Hall of Fame. But then when you mentioned it, it's like, when I, I found out, I was like, wow, he's really not. But then again, he, I think he got outshadowed. You know, he was on with um, Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz and Chipper Jones. So I think he definitely was. I think that's part of the reason. I think that he was just outshadowed. And that's why I didn't realize it, because, you know, they were always focused on those guys. And Kenny Lofton was a good one, actually, because Kenny Lofton was one of my favorite players. But I also think of maybe Joe Carter. He definitely had, I think he might have close to 3,000 hits. I'm not sure. But I think definitely think he you could have made a case for him. I mean, and I guess the, when you think of Joe Carter, I know the big moment you think of is 93 World Series. But he's just one of the, them. But I, but I think part of you, when you think of players, I think it doesn't come to mind because they often, like I said, get overlooked because because you're on teams that, like even with Kenny Lofton, he was on those, all those great Cleveland teams. And I know my brother was a big Braves fan, so he, he and I would go back and forth because I was actually an Indians fan for a while. I, mean, I still love the Orioles, but just Joe Carter is somebody that definitely comes to mind as somebody who kind of maybe should have made it into Hall. Brandon, what about you? For me, I know I'm going to open up a can of worms with this one, but it starts and ends at Mark McGuire. I know what you know. everybody's going to say, steroids, 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 but if you take Mark McGuire out of the late 90s, baseball, I think, is dead. For what he did just in the 98 season with the home run chase coming off of the 94 strike, that single-handedly brought baseball back. So think of those couple years after the strike. Baseball was hemorrhaging money. You know, we were talking contraction to teams in that same time frame. What he did 
just to bring the fan back into the game in the 98s, regardless even of the numbers that he put up. You know, Meyer was always big. So, you know, yeah, could he have gotten a couple um, fly balls to go out? But some of his shots were going 500 feet no matter what happened. So as we look at it, I really think that McGuire was the scapegoat for a lot of the writers in the steroid era. Because if you look at his voting totals, in year one, he got almost 25% of the vote in year one. And then every year after that, until he was off the ballot, his vote declined then. So, you know, if we're really going to truly talk about, you know, people that are influential to the game and deserve a spot, and he's been honest with everything that's gone on, you know, since he's gotten out of the game, you know, that's one to me that should be in the hall no matter what for what he brought back into the game. Jeff, do you have one, or are you still thinking? I got one for you. Oh, okay. Mark Bellinger. Ooh, that's Mark. good. Oh, yeah. That's good. Great defensive player. Yeah, I looked up a stat. He's got uh, more than 5,786 assists and double plays as a shortstop. I mean, don't know why he was snubbed, but probably because he's a Baltimore Oriole, you know, because <laughs> we stink. It could be the 228 career batting average, too. Well, that, too, but, you know. I also think he passed away really young. Those who pass away, you tend to – kind of like forget about in a way he's not around where he can really like talk about his healthy fantasy or like the interview i don't know if that really is a struck against him but that could be it too yeah he was only 54 when he passed away in 98 i think it's more because he's a warrior but, you know. i mean he was he did play behind a hall of famer in the reset ratio but my guy is albert bell now i'm gonna say this yes we're going to put this on my uh, perspective. Okay. Albert Bell. I was going to say him, but I thought I was going to get crucified. So I didn't I'm going to say this because, okay, he should have won the MVP in 95. There's no doubt about it. Writers hated him. But if we're going to. So did to- Fernando Vina. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and some kids, uh, and some kids uh, trick or treaters. Wow. But, uh, but also, here's the thing. The other thing is this. If we're going to go by people's careers who were shortened, the other comparison to him is Kirby Puckett. And Kirby Puckett got in on, and I don't want to slander a dead man, but he got in on a false facade because everything that you heard about Kirby Puckett after he died was no different than what Albert Bell did, probably even worse than what Albert Bell did while he was a player. And I think that... Albert Bell was the most fearsome hitter in that lineup before Manny, before Tomei, before any of those guys. That order, no one would face Eddie Murray unless you had to walk Albert Bell. That's the only reason that uh, that Albert Bell Albert Bell was a monster uh, in more ways than one. But I just say that yeah. Albert Bell is a guy who should get in on a shortened career because that's something that you look back at it. Yes, he was not Mr. Personality, but... Like I said, we've been fooled many times. I didn't want to slander a dead man, but we've been fooled many times. I just want to caveat on Albert Bell with I there, look just look up that clip on YouTube when he was with the Orioles, and I think they I think they were playing the Angels, and he got hit by pitch, and he didn't want to take first. He just wanted to hit again. He was so mad. I think he homered on that next pitch. I think he I think he did. Pitch. That just shows he was a fierce competitor, though. <laughs> I was going to say Albert Bell, but I was like, I don't want people looking at me. Because <laughs> you're right, he was on that. He was on that Yeah, I think it was, what, 02 that he reti- Albert Bell retired? And he had the same amount of years okay. as Kirby Puckett. Well, it might have been 11 years. So Albert mm-hmm. Bell retired after 2000. 
I mean, he basically his career was done after 2000. Uh, he may not have retired until 04 or 05, but he was done after that. But 381 homers in 11 years, 1,726 hits in 11 years. Really, let's say 10 full years from 91 to 2000. You know, he had 373 homers. You can't tell me that wasn't Hall of Fame pace. That's pretty much Ralph Kiner right there. Yeah. That's Ralph Kiner's career right there. Yes. He's in the Hall of Fame. It's personality, apparently. Uh, that, I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. I told you. Thrain, who's the hey, one what about uh, David Justice? For a fun debate, uh, Dave Stewart, I think, also deserves Hall of Fame consideration because he was a big game pitcher. If Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, so should Dave Stewart be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, and uh, David Justice, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, you know, we mentioned uh, David Justice and Dave Stewart. I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, and, and with his passing recently, I was going to say Dick Allen. Dick Allen is a guy, again, basically the Albert Bell of his time, except you didn't really hear bad things from his teammates. It's only the it was only the reporters and the crusty old guys that era, and I think the, and him getting <laughs> traded around might have impacted his career. But there's also a degree of prejudice and racism with Dick Allen, and yeah, like you said, like Mike Schmidt, they played together in '76 when Mike Schmidt was MVP, and uh, Dick Allen was on his way out. And Mike Schmidt, even Goose Gossage, who's like the most grumpy baseball old school player, was like, mm-hmm. we love Dick Allen, like he always made the clubhouse light, and we enjoyed. If the most grumpiest man in baseball loved Dick Allen, like he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and his numbers are comparable with Albert Bell as well. Planned from 22 to 35. I mean, the, really, if you look at his years, those two guys are very comparable. And unfortunately, Dick Allen got saddled with the reputation just because the writers dolly didn't like him. And, and like you said, a level of prejudice around that time. If I could just throw in one more, I don't want to derail this too much, but the other person I wrote down, I just want to give a shout out to is Dave Parker. Um, there's another guy who was very uh, consistent. The Cobra. I think part of it got derailed. His rep- reputation was pretty much sullied uh, with the cocaine trials, you know, and I mean, it's pretty much, you would admit himself that he did drugs, but I mean, a lot of people were doing cocaine back in the day. But, Same with Keith Hernandez. Yeah. He was pretty dominant and even even towards the end of the twilight you know when he was dh'ing with the a's and milwaukee he was still pretty scary as a hitter you know hopefully maybe one day hopefully soon i know that he's not doing too well so um yeah, you know, hopefully, uh, yeah so you know if he gets in hopefully it'll be um he'll, he'll still be alive to uh, appreciate it so we'll move swiftly to the veterans committee picks ted simmons marvin miller what were your thoughts on the selection? I know there was a few other guys who may have missed the cut, but I mean, Don Magley was on that list. What did you guys think about those selections, Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons? I thought they were fine. I thought they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have much to say. Marvin Miller, obviously, <laughs> his impact on the game is what it is, especially on the free agent side and all that stuff because of him. And Ted Simmons, catchers. Just don't get a lot of credit. I mean, there's not a lot of them in there. And he was pretty good for the time. And if you just comp catchers by themselves, he ranks up there. So, Thran, what about you? Well, not only was he uh, an, an eight-time All-Star as, as a catch, the fact that he was, I think he was at least a 280 career hitter as a switch hitter while having to endure the grind of catching throughout the season, I think that's a testament to how dedicated to the game he was because he's putting in just hella time each side of the plate in addition to having to work with fishing staffs and, you know, framing games together and such. Just like think of that from a ball player standpoint. I've never caught, but I'm aware of what it takes to be uh, an effective 
and winning all-star catcher or whatnot. And it seems he was the leader on on a lot of teams, that a lot of those Cardinals teams that he was on throughout the bulk of his career. Vinny, what about you? Those were great picks. I mean, Marvin Miller should have been in years ago. I mean, he's the reason why baseball has $300 million contract. It's a great pick with uh, Marvin Miller, uh, <laughs> long overdue. And then Ted Simmons, yeah, he's... I think he's like one of those players who played during baseball. He joined right after like, the Bob Gibson 67-68 pennant year. And Lou Brock. He was consistent offensive catcher. Probably a good game. And, uh, you know, I think in Milwaukee, he was able to play off Rockley against the uh, uh, Cardinals in 82 in the World Series. He might play then. But, yeah, I think long overdue and, and great. And, and maybe sabermetrics would help him. I don't know if it did or not. But he's one of those players who definitely benefited from the benefit of hindsight. Jeff, what do you think uh, about the Veterans Committee selections? Do you, do you agree with it? Do you think anybody else should have been on there? Yeah, I agree with it. I think uh, Dwight Evans was a good pick. I mean, he's just as good as uh, Gwynn and Reigns, you know, definitely better power. Ronnie, what, what are your thoughts on that Veterans Committee list? And is there somebody among those other guys that should have gotten the vote in the Hall of Fame as well? Uh, I mean, I think those two picks were good. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I think kind of what everyone else has said when it comes to those two guys. Brandon, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think both should have been in. I think Vinny mentioned it earlier, way earlier. Um, but I think when we look at what the Veterans Committee did on that side, I, I just don't know how you can leave Don Mattingly out. If you talk about New York baseball, late 80s, you know, Donnie baseball was what brought the Yankees back. And even, you know, his career was cut short because of his injury. But, you know, Tommy John, you know, I, I think you can't tell the story of the last 30 years of baseball without including Tommy John for how many guys have torn elbows or had that surgery done in just in the last decade and came back so much stronger. So, you know, he's, you know, maybe not for a player, but, you know, can we look at that as a contributor down the road to the game of baseball? And it's interesting. I'm trying to pull up Tommy John's numbers. He was very close to 300 wins too. So, I mean, the time he missed because of the surgery probably impacted his career. I mean, he could have gotten 300 fairly easy. I know some people will use the whole thing of compiler and all this other stuff. Did you think he's like 46 or something? Or yeah, he was. Let me see how long he played. While we're looking at that as well, he did not play in 75, but he finished 288 wins, 231 losses. That one season in 75 that he missed probably maybe could have cost him 12 wins. And that could have been a huge difference there. But the thing is, he finished second for the Cy Young twice, was only a four-time All-Star, but the surgery is what they know him for. I will say this, you know, Lou Whitaker, I think he gets a raw deal, especially when you think of defensive second baseman. You're always going to think of Mazeroski. Again, you're going to think of Alomar, and I think that really overshadows him. But he was part of one of the best double play combos in Detroit with Alan Trammell, who's already in, who himself was a victim of you came in the wrong era because you were behind Ozzy Smith and you were behind Cal Ripken and even early career Robin Yao. That could have hurt him as well. But I think Lou Whitaker's a guy, and I think Mattingly, yeah. I can definitely see that. That is a very tough thing. I mean, if Dale Murphy's career didn't just crater at the end, he has all the numbers and qualifications to be in. Now, let's move on to what everybody's here for, the 2021 Hall of Fame ballot. Let's look at the people who are the newest additions on the ballot first before we get to everybody. One of the people I was looking at, we think of... This. I look at Torrey Hunter, 277 batting average, 2,452 hits, 353 homers, 
Five-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, nine gold gloves. What do you guys think? And we'll start with Ben. Torrey Hunter, do you think he's Hall of Fame worthy? And I know there's been a premium put on defense, but that's my opinion. I mean, it kills me to say this because I like Torrey Hunter a lot as a player, and I see a lot of similarities, especially in their defense and then also just team leadership with Adam Jones. But if I was a voter, I don't know if I could vote for him. He's just on the very good level. For all his accolades, he would just wouldn't make my ballot. He would pain me, but he would just wouldn't make my ballot. I, I would ask this. Would Jim Edmonds make your ballot? Because defensively, they were very similar. I like Jim Edmonds a lot, too. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, that catch is one of the greatest catches in baseball history. But again, just good. He's good to very good, but he's yeah. not all the same level. Yes, sir. Brandon. Torrey Hunter, for me, uh, good, solid mm-hmm. career, especially, you know, early years with the Twins. Didn't really push anything over the top, though, numbers-wise, but solid major leaguer, though. Thoran, your thoughts on Torrey Hunter? I agree with Brandon and Ben. I do remember uh, I really enjoyed watching him, man, the outfield. I think he definitely had a Hall of Fame play, but it was in the All-Star game when he mm-hmm. robbed the uh, Bonds of that homer in the uh, bottom of the first, I think it was the bottom. But, uh, yeah, um, he had a Hall of Fame play, and he would have had a Hall of Fame play uh, – as a Tiger, uh, I forget the ALCS. Was it 2013? Did someone help me out there? Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, I forget who hit it, but I know he, he jumped. Yeah, yeah. He would have had a Hall of Fame moment had he caught that ball, but I always right. appreciate his effort. He had a hell of a glove. And speaking of that All-Star game in 2002, I think he was on his way to having an MVP-type season. I think uh, he was like amongst the leaders and uh, home runs going to that all-star break because I remember he was in, in the derby that year. But it didn't quite pan out to be an MVP season for him. And I think that's the closest he ever got for me, even though he remained a perennial all-star and some of the big game player as well down the line. But uh, as, as far as the Hall is concerned, I don't vote him in there. Vinny, what do you think on Torrey Hunter? Uh, basically, it's very similar to um, Ben Brandon and Thran. It's all very good, not the Hall of Fame. Um, he had a great career and a really solid career. Gold gloves, you know, he was charismatic. He, you know, people knew him like baseball cards and he played hard. But I think what really hurts him is he never went to a World Series. Like he never had that moment. I mean, yeah, he stole the home run from Barry Bonds and created the god awful home field advantage for the league in the All Star game. But he never made a World Series. And I think that's one of the few things that, fairly or not, or unfairly, it, it does like go against him. He made League Championship Series. He was pretty close, like in 2013 as well. And then, oh, now with the Angels, he was close. But it was like, that's kind of like his career. He's like the hall of close, but no cigar. And I don't know. I mean, maybe in hindsight, the defense plays a bigger factor. But I think the fact that he didn't have his big playoff experience, I think that cost him in the long run. Yeah, your thoughts on Torrey Hunter? I do not think he will go to the Hall of Fame. I think he had a great career, but I don't think he was like a Ricky Henderson type you know he has some good stolen bases uh good power but he was average power great defense but i don't think he'll make it to the hall of fame ronnie honestly going in i would say yes but then when i looked at his sets i didn't realize like i really would have thought he would have more home runs um i think if he had gotten 400 home runs and i would say definitely he was going in and he's definitely one of my favorite players so i would think that but looking at his stats i don't know if he's going to get in his personality alone, that might be the push that pushes him over to get him in because he, he was very personable. I think he was always smiling. And I think, um, you know, one of the, I guess, best images of him is that all-star game. And he, he always had so much fun playing the game. But I don't know if he's going to get in with those numbers. It, 
you know, like I said, I really thought his numbers were bigger. So going into it, I said, yes, 100%. But now looking at it, uh, as much as I love him, I don't know if he's going to get in. The next person I'll look on the list, and, I, you know, the defense, who knows? I mean, again, if Edmonds doesn't get in, I think Edmonds had a far better career. Tory's not getting in, and and I think that's maybe a veterans committee down the road. You never know because the, the generations will change up. But um, the next person I'm looking at is Mark Burley. Mark Burley is a guy that is very stealthy when you look at his numbers. He has a Hall of Fame moment, but the wins, again, this is an era where pitching wins aren't going to be there, but – 214 wins, uh, a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, but a World Series champ. I'll start this off. I think of Mark Burley. I think of two things. One, the play through the legs that he made the first, and I think of the no-hitter uh, that, again, that surrounds the Dwayne Wise catch and, and the uh, and the famous Perfect call. game. Perfect game. Oh, yeah. Perfect game. And the yeah, call by Hulk Harrelson yep. on that final out. Then starting off, uh, Mark Burley. Where does it go? Great pitcher. I would have killed to have him on the Orioles um, in his prime or even in the twilight of his career. But good, not great. No. Duran? Oh, man. Um, definitely had a Hall of Fame with the perfect game. I thought it was a big game pitcher. Man, it's so close. I, I'm, I'm very tempted to give him the vote. However, I feel like the last, like, maybe four or five seasons of his career just kind of just, like, sort of disappeared into a bubble. I don't know if maybe it was age or or the team or I don't know, but it seemed like his career kind of trailed toward the end. And where, you know, maybe during that, that 08 season, you're thinking, okay, you know, this guy's knocking on the door toward the end uh, by his retirement. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he had a solid career. Vinny. He's sneakingly good. Like, that's the funny part. It's like, he could be in the Hall of Fame 20 years from now, but I don't think he'll get elected. Um, like he's the epitome of consistency. 200 innings, like every year he hangs. He had a perfect game. He had the, you know, 2005 where the White Sox rotation is probably the best rotation in our lifetimes. But yeah, he, he did kind of like dive down a little bit towards the end of Toronto. I think in 2015, his last year, he didn't even make the playoff roster. So I think he just had like a fade. And But he was sneakily good. A pitcher you would want like to get the ball to. I just don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Jeff, your thoughts on Mark Burley? I think yes. I don't think he's going to do it. Um, I think maybe it'll take him five years. Ronnie? I don't think he'll get in this year. Um, with, but with that, he does have a decent win percentage. So that might put him over. But I definitely don't think he's getting in this first year. Maybe in a couple years, but I don't think he'll get in the first year. Brandon, your thoughts? I agree with Vinny on this one. Uh, I think he's a veterans committee potentially down the road because when you do compare his numbers, uh, especially with Schilling, they're very, very comparable. I think Schilling's at 216 uh, for wins and Burley's at 214. So I think, you know, looking at that, uh, obviously the big difference between the two, Schilling has the postseason heroics to whereas Burley, you know, just has that one World Series championship to where, you know, I think if you look back at the 05 Sox, John Garland was actually the top pitcher on that club. So, you know, for that perspective, you know, eventually numbers will get him in, but I don't think it's going to be within the his 10-year window. Next person on the ballot we're looking at of the newcomers, Tim Hudson, 222 wins, 133 losses. And, you know, a lot of people are going to think of him as time with the A's. What say you, Ben? Kind of almost the exact same thing I'd say about Mark Burley. Uh, I would want him on the Orioles, great pitcher, great person to anchor the staff. But I think his resume is even less than Burley's. I mean, he was, he was in the left star uh, a couple times and, you know, maybe three or four times. You know, he was he pitched on some great teams, those A's teams, those money ball teams, and he went to Atlanta. But 
I just can't give him my vote. He actually has one World Series ring, four All-Star appearances, so he's a yeah. nearly similar to Burley. Thran, what say you, Tim Hudson? Um, I'm with Ben mostly on this one. Um, though just thinking of those A's teams, they were pretty dominant during the regular season, and I think I put it to you this way: I think he, Zito, and Mulder should be voted in together as that sort of big three. I feel like that's the only way that that would work. Uh, otherwise, individually. I think um, I think he finishes his career as a solid ball player. Vinny? Uh, yeah, two things really hurt. And one was, you know, his time in Oakland was short. Like, you know, you tend to look at pitchers who stay in one place for a long time. Like the triplets in um, Atlantic, you had Glavin Smoltz and Maddox. They all stayed for at least 10 seasons together, something around there. And um, Mulder, Zito, and Hudson stayed together maybe five, six seasons tops because of the salary, you know, salaries escalating. But I think the great thing about Hudson's, he had a great second act in Atlanta. I remember he got like cleated on and he lost like some time and lost a season. So I think he had a great career, but I don't even think on the veterans committee he'd make it because like the World Series is surprising. Was it with the Giants or something? I don't remember him ever the Giants, pitching yeah. the World Series. Twenty fourteen. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he had a small role in that team. Oh great. Oh happy for Hudson. Um but I, I just don't think that's the thing. Like his playoffs usually ended in the fifth game of an ALDS. You know, so it's it's really hard to to add that, and in, in, in baseball you have to like shine in those big moments typically, and uh, he just didn't have the opportunity, and I don't think it's enough to uh, the other stuff that he worked with is enough to get him Hall of Fame. Jeff, mm, I don't think he's going in this year. Ronnie, um, I think he's going to be one of the players who you say, oh, maybe he should have gone in. I don't think he's going to get in, but he'll be that one that player when you look back and say. Oh, he was just good enough, but not good enough for the Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't think he'll get in. Brandon, I don't think uh, Hudson's going to get in within his uh, ten years uh, <laughs> with the window. Maybe fringe on the veteran side of things. You know, biggest thing with Hudson, you know, yeah, he did have a good, uh, solid career there with Atlanta. But you know, when you think Hall of Famers, you know, you know, you had one year where you finished top three for the Cy Young. Only was a twenty-game winner once. Uh, you know, there's a lot of parallels you might be able to draw between him and Burley or even back to Mucina. But I, I think, you know, both, you know, Mucina and Burley, you know, have a, uh, have them in, in categories, but you know, solid pitcher all around. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing with, with the win total starting to get depressed and he might make his way in just because nobody's going to get maybe 200 wins, maybe 250 wins it might be the new 300. Looking at Barry Zito, you know, I was marveled by his numbers and honestly, they are not as appealing as you really think at it. When you look at it, Ben, yeah, same thing. I mean, I think I would agree with Thoran. If you if you just made Mulder, Tim Hudson, and Zito together, that's a Hall of Famer for sure. But, you know, that's a guy probably unfairly when he signed with the Giants in that big contract and he was only so-so and then he got eclipsed by guys like Linscombe and, and Matt Cain and all those guys and their, their World Series runs. Um, it's a good guy, you know. He dated Alyssa Milano, so hats off to that. He's a Hall of Famer for that, but not baseball Hall of Famer. Well, to add to that, he also plays guitar. He's a songwriter, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so he would make my cool guy Hall of Fame, but um, as far as his career is concerned, I really appreciate his craftiness, and it was cool earlier in his career how he was throwing consistent, consistently mid-90s, and... It, it would have been, you know, interesting to see had he been able to keep, you know, throwing the gas maybe a little deeper into his career. Uh, maybe he would have, you know, got more wins and maybe would have lowered his, his overall ERA because I think his ERA was blowing up 
toward the end. But uh, I think he played the game right, but I don't think he's, he's a Hall of Famer. Vinny? I think Hudson has a better shot at the Hall of Fame than Zito, and I don't think either that would make it. I mean, I think he does a great redemption story. Like, you know, he signed that big contract, like, in 06 with the Giants, and he was their ace, and he wasn't even on the 2010 roster, and they won the World Series. But he came back in 2012, had some very gritty performances against the Cardinals and the NLCS, and, you know, that's great. Like, he has that, you know, but he was just so good, like, on that level for just so little time. Um, but he's a great surfer, so I'll give him that, you know. Yeah. No, I'm definitely not a Hall of Famer. He only had a few great seasons. And uh, his last season, he looked like he just got shelled. So definitely not a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Uh, Ronnie? I don't think he's getting in. I mean, he. I think if he had kept on that trajectory um, after his, like, what was he, went like 23 wins, I think. If he had kept on that. And I think at that point, everyone thought he was going to get in. I think if he would have asked most people. You know, because it was like seemed to be a big Barry Zito phenomenon, but I just don't think he gets in because he wasn't consistent for one, and I, you know, and I think that's kind of going to be his downfall. I mean, he did make the All Star, didn't I think he was All Star, but um, I just don't think he's going to make it in. Uh, Brandon, your thoughts? Uh, honestly, I don't think Zito ever touches the Hall of Fame 500 pitcher. At the end of the day, had a one great year in '02 where he won the Cy Young, but realistically, when you think about that A's team. You know, he was the number three starter going up against everybody else's number three. It was always Hudson, Mulder, then Zito. So made a lot of money in his career, but not a Hall of Famer. And honestly, looking at some of the numbers of other guys, there's not really anybody offensively that stands out in this year's class, which might mean if none of these guys are getting in, we're going to look at the guys who are retaining on the ballot. And the first person we look at, and you know, it's going to start and end with Barry Bonds. So what's your thoughts, Ben? Here we go. All these steroid guys, they really give me mixed feelings because like, and Barry Bonds is like one of my favorite players of all time. I mean, like him and, and uh, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, he could do it all. I mean, even before the steroids, you know, it was just in Pittsburgh. He was, he was great. And then whatever happened and, you know, the, you know, you can speculate what happened. Um, and, you know, the steroid before the mm-hmm. testing started, in the mid-2000s, it was the Wild West, man. And, you know, I mean, if it wasn't technically outlawed, then, you know, there's a lot of gray area you could you can play with. And it's not apples to apples, but, you know, you can compare what the guys did in the 60s and 70s. People were taking greenies. There's a lot of things that are going on. And this really taints everything. For The whole steroid area really just taints a lot of guys that I loved as a kid. So I'm, I'm really conflicted personally. But, geez, that's a, this, is, this is the one I've been agonizing with. I, I guess at the end of the day, especially for a guy who was doing it pre-testing, and those seasons that he had, I mean, he was a video game. I mean, the home runs – you know, people you know, getting walked with bases loaded. You know what? I, I would probably just say, screw it, and probably I would probably vote him in. Is he going to get in? I don't know, but maybe if I just turned a blind eye and just said, okay, let me only count the Pittsburgh years before he's really dominant. But um, I would say begrudgingly, yes, I would vote for him. So up to 1998, because basically the rumor is yeah. that he started juicing once he saw McGuire getting all the love, and that, you know, and that does the one thing. Theran? I think Bonds baseball mind to be in the hall alone so stories of you know the ruin all right all that aside i really started following him in 2000 
And uh, I think that year he hit 40. What I saw that year was definitely the best hitter in baseball. Just his approach to the plate, like no one had his eye. No one could recover from, say, a bad a bad read on the ball as quickly as he could because his swing was just so compact and, and quick and directly to the ball. So there wasn't there wasn't like any zone he couldn't get to. So he was arguably the the hardest out I've ever seen at bat. In addition to later in his career. Maybe uh, he didn't showcase this as much, but he was a hell of, a, of an outfielder. I don't think he was the most graceful, but as far as taking routes, balls, I thought he always positioned himself to make the best play out there. He didn't have the strongest arm, but he had a really accurate arm, and I think that has a, a lot to do with, with, with his eye just in general. So I just think of his of his game like overall and sort of think in post playing career when he uh, joined the Marlins as a hitting instructor, he really influenced Stanton and Yellick and, and Ozuna at the time, I'm pretty sure. I think it's because of him that those guys became the MVP caliber type players that they became, at least you know, Stanton and Yellick and Ozuna too. So again that, that speaks to his mind and everybody know about the numbers. So when you put all that together, he has an indelible mark on the game. I mean, yeah, he, he's a Hall of Famer for certain. And it's, I feel like it's a travesty that he's not there, that he's not in there. Vinny? You're never going to get, like, everyone on uh, consensus. But, yes, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not his pre-1999 career. If he had a catastrophic injury in 1999 and never played a game again, he would have been a Hall of Famer just on his town alone. All the gold gloves in left field, but when he played a three-time MVP in what, 90, 92, and 93, and he came close to winning uh, MVP to Terry Pendleton in 91, so he could have won four in a row. Uh, obviously, the video game number started in 2000, and, and it's kind of like earlier, I think Brandon was talking about Mark Wyatt, like, he brought people, like, out of their seats. As a Yankees fan, I was mm-hmm. really excited in 2002, he came to the old Yankee Stadium. He had a ball I've never seen him hit. Into the into the right field upper deck at Old Yankee Stadium. I think John Miller like famously said on the radio calls like, "But no one is headed to New Jersey." It's really heading towards like Connecticut, but it's okay, John. But like, <laughs> that was people, a bomb. Like out of that was a yeah, bomb. People out of their seats. Like fifty thousand people just got up. They came just for that. They could have left right after. The game could have rained out second inning, and and people would have been satisfied. So yes, he took steroids. But he didn't. He was never. I don't want to say he was never caught. He didn't do the testing at the time. So there's that whole thing. But I also think of like this. This is a little biased because you know Willie is his godfather. But Willie Mays, when they retired Barry Bonds' number uh, last year, two years ago in San Francisco, Willie Mays is 90 years old. We know that he doesn't have a lot of time left on this earth. And I think he like made a passionate response, like I want to see Will. I want to see Barry Bonds go to the Hall of Fame while I'm around. And I think a lot of players, Hall of Fame players, the old guard. They hate people who take steroids, and rightfully so. But I think Willie's Willie's voice makes a big difference. There. Um, but it, it's hard. It's, you're not going to get consensus, unfortunately. You know, he did what he did. Uh, but my God, from 2000 2004, he made baseball so fun. Jeff, I don't want to see him in the Hall of Fame, but at the same time, on his talent alone, you know, he'll probably get in. I mean, I read a book about him. You know, where he went to get. The, the steroids, you know, they were using the transfusions. They made a whole new treatment just to treat him. You know, 
and I can't remember what the name of the book's called right now. It's probably sitting on the bookshelf behind me. Game of Shadows? Huh? Yeah, Game of Shadows. Yeah, and, um, you know, they were treating Olympic athletes and everybody else with it, you know. And one of the reasons I don't like the guy is because of his attitude. He, you know, he was worse than Bell. When I signed autographs, I mean, his head exploded. His head was bigger than my head. My head is like a couple feet tall. You know, his ego is what brought his downfall. It's horrible. But, you know, and McGuire's just as guilty. But, you know, one thing we have to mention is Kaseko brought it all into the game, you know, and then started crying about it because he had to write his little book. And, yeah, I just I just can't ever see, you know, myself. If I had to vote, I would vote no on Bonds. But it would be the same thing on Clemens. You know, I'm, getting, I'm jumping the horse on that, but, you know. Ronnie? That's a tough one because, you know, yeah, he did take steroids and that's going to always be something that's going to leave a mark, but you can't deny his numbers. I mean, he had like mm, eight gold gloves, something like that. You don't get that many. Taking steroids isn't going to help you be a better outfielder. And I mean, if you take his numbers before he took steroids, they were still pretty huge. I mean, he has over 700 home runs. And to me, it's in a way it's sad because he for sure would be in the Hall of Fame. You take away the steroids, he would for sure be in the Hall of Fame. But you always have to wonder, like, is that fair? that he gets in and he cheated, you know, but, you know, but he had all those numbers. I was a Bonds fan for a while, but his, you know, his attitude kind of just, but taking that away, he still belongs there. But it's like, is that fair for him to get in when, you know, he did cheat? And it's like, you know, you're supposed to go out there and play with sheer talent and which he had, which is like, unfortunately, you don't get all the MVPs you get and all that just on that. And I think he might have gotten in had he had a better attitude, you know, because his numbers are just they're astronomical and he i think when he got that well he always had an ego but i think when it you know it started to kind of take off and it really exploded that's when he kind of pushed people away and i think that take away that attitude maybe they might have overlooked it and been like you know he's going in the first ballot i guess it's a player's right not to sign autographs but you know you are the, you know they come out to see you they they come in there you know they they not say pay your salary, but you know what I mean? So I don't know if I'd vote for him, but I wouldn't be that upset if he got in. But it's always going to be a dark cloud over it if he does get in. Brandon? I think in, in general, what I think the Hall of Fame and uh, the baseball writers really need to decide is with this entire group of steroid guys, are they in or are they out? I think, you know, trying to piecemeal each single one of them is only going to drive everybody nuts as we as we look at this next, you know, 10 years of inductions. Because, you know, it's been said already that someone in the Hall of Fame used steroids. So, you know, there's many, many guesses on who that could have been. You know, as a Mets fan, you know, Piazza's name's always brought up. You know, could have been Ricky Henderson, you know, who's on the A's teams with McGuire and Canseco. Um, and those guys, you know, Pudge Rodriguez, you know, he's been linked. So, you know, we, we got to decide, I think, as we're looking at this is it's going to be an all or nothing. You know, I, I think, you know, when you look at especially what's going on with, you know, the Hall of Fame postponing last year's ceremony. Personally, I don't think there's any chance in hell that they would ever put Bonds and Jeter in the same induction class at the end of the day. You know, they're going to keep Jeter sterile. You know, he's going to be the pretty boy, you know, and that's why I think Schilling is going to be the only one to go in potentially with him just due to their rivalry this year. But as you look at the 2022 class, that opens up a whole nother can of worms because that's the last year now for both Clemens and for Bonds. It's also running out on time for Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, 
and it's the first year for A-Rod. So if you're ever going to truly look at a steroid class of going in by themselves, next year is going to be that year that you can say, hey, everybody's going to go in. We're going to finally take this steroid thing, rip the Band-Aid off, and go with it. But Bonds to the certain degree, absolutely 100%. I know he's an ass to the media, but at the end of the day, you cannot fight with what the man did on the baseball field. And also, we forgot for next year, Ortiz is also on that ballot, and there's a lot of questions about him, too. I will say this about Bonds. Looking at his career average, basically, they're in line with every, except for 01, they were pretty much in line with his career, so, except for the walks. But other than that, his numbers are pretty much consistent across the board, except for that, you know, as we always say in baseball, the statistical anomaly, as I call it, the Brady Anderson year. Except Barry Bonds' Brady Anderson year was 73 homers. But basically 49, 46, 45, 45, got injured, only played hit five. Then the next year, 26, and the last year, 28. <laughs> he, I mean, those numbers are lying. And if you look at it, it's 298, 41 homers, 108 RBIs. And that's a 162-game average over those years. So that that's one thing. You know, we were going to talk about Clemens, but basically he's in the same boat as Bonds. Let's get to Kurt Schilling because – that's a very dicey subject, and you know it's not performance that's going to get him. It's his mouth that is going to be something <laughs> that comes up, and I think that's the big thing about Schilling. His performance, the win total, you know, again, late bloomer because he really didn't get a full-fledged start until, what, 92 maybe as a starter because he was in the bullpen for a chunk of his career with Baltimore and Houston. But uh, Schilling, Thran, what do you think about Kurt Schilling? Oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. I was saying those phrases earlier. If I had like a, a Mount Rushmore of big game pitchers that I've seen in my life, let's say honestly, Clemens is up there, Randy Johnson, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, and you got their Kurt Schilling there. You got to add him there with, with the rest of those guys. If if none of y'all don't remember, it, just go down the archives, go go to YouTube and and watch this guy. Just nerves of steel in like the biggest moments, and uh, it's definitely something to admire. As a baseball player and then and, and just as a person. Ben? Yeah, this is another one that's going to pain me. Personally, I would not vote for him because of really just some of the – basically everything he's said since he's retired. I'm going to recognize that he's a fantastic baseball player and probably what the Rand said was just – he's definitely one of the most clutch ones. Um, You know, I was old enough to remember that 93 Phillies team, and he was pretty much lights out from there. And, of course – you know, him teaming up with Randy Johnson to win the World Series 01 was fantastic. And, you know, the Red Sox team, the 04 kind of reverse the curse team, you know, it's legendary for a lot of reasons. But, again, me personally, if I had to vote, I wouldn't vote for him again because he's just become incredibly inflammatory and a lot of reasons. But um, I think he'll probably get in. And, you know, Brandon makes a good point. That's a good narrative to have the Red Sox and the Yankee together. I'm not particularly psyched to hear his induction speech or, you know, follow him on Twitter. And I don't plan to, but, um, you know, I'll acknowledge that he has a good shot this year. I mean, he's at 70, I think he was at 70%. But again, mm-hmm. if, if I had a vote, he wouldn't get my vote. But I will acknowledge that he's good enough and he will probably get in. Vinny? You're probably going to find very similar opinions here. As a player, absolutely. As a human being, no. Virgilling as a player, amazing. And I think he has the body of work, you know, 93 Phillies, you know, um, you know, he rubbed his teammates the wrong way with the towel on his head during the games, but he'd always throw 300 strikeouts, and then, you know, he kept it going when he joined the Diamondbacks, 
he ripped my heart out in 01, you know, with Randy Johnson. He ripped my heart again in 04 with a buddy sock, you know. And I think he finished his career in like 07 as a World Series winner. Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, if his first year of eligibility, I guess it would have been what, 2013 or something like that. And I think he was still in ESPN and he wasn't really like in the rapping, you know, mouthing off. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just a horrible human being. I can't say anything more like without being very like, saying, you know, like cursing on the stream, I think he's a reprehensible <laughs> person for what he says. And I personally think he sullies the name Garrick. I believe his um his Twitter is Garrick38. And I think that's just a disgrace to Garrick. But, you know, as a player, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But now the question is, I'm glad I'm not a voter because there's a moral dilemma. We know that the Hall of Fame goes back to 1936. Mm. We know Cap Anton's in the Hall of Fame. We know Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame. We know there are several men who are in the Hall of Fame who either through racism, maybe they were criminals, maybe they, you know, they domestic abuse. There is a lot of people in the Hall of Fame who are just not good people. And so I don't know if I'm the one to say that, but I do think that the newer voters who have grown up post-civil rights era, I think we've all grown up with this ability, and I think he's crossed the line. I don't think he's getting it. Jeff? Definitely, like Vinny said and like Ben said, he's definitely got the talent and, you know, the numbers. But from what he said over the years, I would definitely not want him in. I wouldn't want him to represent baseball. But, you know, that's neither here nor there because he's probably going to get in. Ronnie? Well, first of all, as a person, I do not like him. I can't stand him. I think he's a horrible person. But you have to look at his numbers. I mean, in his mid-30s, he was two for two years straight, he was like 45 and 13. So you can't deny that. And, of course, you know, when people mm-hmm. think about him, they're going to think of his time in Arizona winning the World Series, and then the Bloody Sock, of course. So, I mean, I was actually surprised that he got 70% votes last year. That really shocked me. Um, I really didn't think he would get that many. So he actually might go in this year. Or, like he, he said earlier, he might go in next year when they all go in, which he, he, they, he probably will get in. Personally, I wouldn't vote him in, but like I said, that's a personal thing. But, you know, if you take away his mouth and all the things he said, so if Ty Cobb's in, I mean, granted, that was a different time, but still – Ty Cobb is in, he'll probably get in. I mean, seeing that he had 70% last year, but I wouldn't personally vote for him, but I think he's going to get in either this year or next year when he was last eligibility. Brandon? Honestly, I think rehashing what everybody kind of said, terrible person between the lines, you know, absolute big game pitcher. As we look at where the Hall of Fame's kind of at, and I'd have to look up the history, I don't know if there's ever been a year that they've not elected a, a single player. Uh, especially in a year that they don't have the veterans committee to to add on to. But, you know, with that being said, we, we do know that a ceremony will happen though with, uh, with Larry Walker and with Jeter. So, you know, I think he's a coin flip at this moment, but I, I do think he's going to get in, but it's going to be by the skin of his teeth. You know, and the thing is, mm-hmm. he, he keeps opening his mouth. It's going to be an issue. It's the guy who's going to represent that sport. I will say this, it's going to be an issue. And it's going to be something that he's going to have to be a little more tight-lipped or he's just going to end up being that crazy old uncle that nobody really likes talking about. <laughs> uh, jumping quickly, Scott Rowland I was looking at, and honestly, there's that's something that can be up to for debate. Looking at the numbers, I, I don't know why he's trending, and I'm not going to say that he shouldn't, but that's something we can hold off maybe for a, another time or we can always do a little extra. Omar Vizquel, that's the guy that, you know, we're talking about defense. His numbers mm. with the glove are Ozzie Smith-like, except his batting average was better. More homers than Ozzie Smith. He was part of a lot of good Indians teams. But uh, what say you, Ben? 
He's another toughie. You know, I think he's pretty – obviously, he's known for his defense, and we talk about Hall of Fame moments. I mean, he's, he's obviously great with that. I guess the case against him would be that he was around for a long time, so you could say, oh, is he a compiler? You know, if he wanted – and again, I just went on this whole spiel about Kurt Schilling. I mean, if we want to be kind of the morals police a little bit, I mean, it's not the Hall of Nice People. It's the Hall of Fame baseball. Um, you know, I mean, issues and – I think there's like four people on this ballot who had uh, have been charged or accused of domestic issues. Um, unfortunately, he's a tough one. Um, he's like right on the borderline for me. And uh, I guess if you put a gun in my head and just said, okay, wh- what does your gut tell you? I would say yes. Maybe he's on his fourth year of eligibility. So, I mean, I think he'll get it eventually. Will it be this year? I'm not sure. But I think more people than that will decide that he's in the hall. He's a hall of famer. So, Thoran. Um, yeah, I think he'll eventually get in later on, later on down the line. I think um, that's going to be primarily due to the strength of having, you know, been associated with uh, with Robbie Alomar all those years as you know one of the the best up the middle defenses in 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 the league, seemingly for years. But I think they were only together for maybe what four or five seasons or some something along those lines. Somebody can look that up for me, but it wasn't wasn't for a terribly long stretch, but for that stretch, they were very exciting to watch together. And, and as I said earlier, I, I do believe um, that the ball players coming out nowadays are, are really talented, but as far as the emphasis on just playing fundamentally sound baseball is concerned, I, I'm no guru and I'm no coach, but I know what I see. And uh, I just love the effort put into the routine. I know the routine can be boring, but it's effective. And I think that down the line, we're going to say that this guy was definitely one of the most reliable and effective ball players that we've ever seen. Just based on his commitment to, to, to playing defense, to showing up day in, day out, doing this thing on defense the way he did. So I think that that effort alone should be canonized. Vinny? I didn't read that athletic article three, four weeks ago. I would say yes, because I think he was a great defensive shortstop. But it's so hard, you know, like just reading what he has done. And, I, I you know, it's it's the same way. Like if I'm going to treat Kurt Schilling that way, I got to treat Omar Vizquel the same way. It can't be, you know, one way or another. But it's a shame because I think he had a great career similar to Kurt Schilling. I think on the field, you know, he played 24 seasons. So, you know, four decades. And he was still mm-hmm. towards the end. And, um you know, it's one of the few times I can say, I guess Jose Mesa was right. Uh, you know, he, he was great. He was, he was enjoyable to watch. Venezuela and shortstop on the level CEO, but very biased opinion. That's where I stand on this. Jeff? Yeah, I'd put him in. Like, uh, like you guys said, he had great defense, showed up, great effort day in, day out. You know, uh, might not have been the best uh, offensive batter, but, you know, like we said, you know, defense rolls off. Ronnie? He's another one of those people who like – really thought would have been in by now and I actually had never heard about this domestic so that kind of changes what I feel about him because I was a huge Omar Vizquel fan um but you know when you look back at his career I mean there wasn't if you watch Sports Center, there wasn't a night to go why he wouldn't be on a highlight reel so he was definitely flashy he got in game done on defense he was a decent hitter and I mean he wasn't great he only had like I don't even think he had 100 home runs but he did have over 2,000 hits and you know he was a part of that Cleveland Indians team that won the, you know, the division a couple of times and he went to the World Series. 
So, I mean, I think he'll get in. It might be one of those things where he gets in, like, at the end, like a lot of other players that are on here. So, uh, before I knew about the thing, I would say for sure I would vote him in. But, you know, like I said, it's not the moral whatever. So, I do think he'll get in, but I just don't think – I think it will be on his last year of eligibility like everyone else. I think they're going to just kind of – like, people like that, I think they'll let him in, but it'll be like – they'll let him wait it out. So, he'll probably get in in another, you know, five, six years. Brandon? I think Fiskell, as a player, I mean, you can't argue with the defense. You know, from 93 to 01, he was the only one that won the gold glove at shortstop in the American League. You know, even looking at his hitting stats, you know, I know we talk about compilers, but for the last five years of his career, he only compiled 300 hits and he finished at 2,800. So, you know, he was still over that 2,500 for the majority of his career. Um, perspective. Like everybody's mentioned, you know, with this domestic violence stuff, I, I don't think he gets in with that being fresh. I think they do string him out for a little bit, even potentially into the Veterans Committee. But uh, one day, uh, Omar will be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the domestic violence is brand new to me. And until that was mentioned, I didn't know that that's going to be an issue. That's something that lingers with Bonds as well. That's something that, I mean, uh, you look at all the character quirks. I mean, the Roger Clemens and Mindy McCready thing is not very uh, kosher when you look at that. Yeah, that's uh, that's some very iffy stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll, Andrew you know. Jones too. I mean, there's, I mean, everybody. Todd Helton has a DUI. I mean, I mean, this, I mean, they're not perfect people. Oh, they're yeah. people. So, I mean, they're just superstars, but you know, yeah. they can't. Yeah. They are, they're humans. There's a lot of people we glossed over. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Andrew Jones, Sheffield, Sosa. I mean, uh, Billy Wagner. But what we're gonna do is gonna go real quickly to pick your ballot if you had a choice to pick 10 people from this ballot and who are still available uh who would you go with ben let's start with you real quick excluding the people we already mentioned and this was fine anyway because i didn't have my ballot actually i would actually vote for the three people scott Rowland. i think there's a lot of potential with him if you cop him with third baseman he's solid third baseman one of the best could have been an oriole should have been an oriole um you know and uh I think he's going to gain a little bit of momentum. Uh, <laughs> Billy Wagner, too, I thought, solid guy. You know, you be looking at his, like, per nine strikeouts, dominant, very good. And he kind of left something in the tank. Like, he's probably had a couple more years to maybe pad the stats a little bit, but he didn't. He retired early. And, uh, again, you know, I like Todd Helton. I mean, I you know, I mean, DUI and domestic abuse aren't the same. But he was good. If you want to ding him, too, for the course field stuff, I mean, sure, you could do that. But then again, we got Larry Walker going in. So what does that say? So those would be a three. Do I think they're going to make the Hall of Fame this year? No. Um, do I think they're going to eventually make it? I hope so. Maybe help might not. He might still get held back by everything. And um, his, like, peak maybe not have been long enough. But I think there's a case for Billy Wagner uh, for sure and also for Scott Rowland. Jeff, who is your ballot? Like Ben said, I definitely Scott Rowland. Um, I would say um, Bobby Abreu, Andy Pettit, definitely those three. Um, Omar Vizquel, I definitely pick those four. As far as ten, I don't know if I could pick ten. Um, a lot of first years, and I see a few uh, Yankees on here. I don't know if I can. I, I'm a little biased. Definitely a little biased on them. Kind of picking on Vinny here. Maybe Bobby Abreu. Uh, like Jeff was saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll make it to 10 exactly, but uh, I think from this conversation, we know that I'm definitely voting Bonds and Schilling. Based on what I experienced as, as a fan alone, in Schilling's case, you know, 
I, I guess I probably shouldn't reduce it to, to this, you know, simple train of thought, but, you know, people say things. And uh, I don't think they really speak for him as as a ball player, just taking him just, just what he did on the field. I'm forever grateful for the memories that he's given me as a fan. So uh, I'm definitely with him and uh, Bonds. I think that guy's praises any, any, every time this, this, you know, this time of year comes around, he's in for me. Uh, I'd say Andy Pettit, even though they were the Eva Empire, you know, back in the day, I never really hated the Yankees. I always respected them. Uh, I always thought they had, at the very least, just a good idea of what team baseball is all about and what being a team is all about. Yeah, Andy Pettit, he was definitely one of the pillars uh, as far as uh, that dynasty is concerned. I'd say uh, Billy Wagner, GMs nowadays trying to find their Aroldis Chapmans. You know, the evolution of just that, you know, 90-plus just fire coming in and closing games out, giving guys no shots, no, like no no chance to react at, you know, at, at bat. I think he was sort of uh, the, the beginning of, of that trend of, of trying to find that flamethrower. Um, so he's in. As far as any other players standing out is concerned, I don't I think those are really the guys that I – that I that I had in mind as far as this this year's ballot is concerned. Brandon, I'm not going to get to the full ten. Uh, obviously, you know we all talked uh, Bonds and Clemens and uh, their merits. Uh, I'm also going to go with the uh, the steroid guys as well because you know I, I think you know even though you know yes we do look at you know yeah they were able to put the ball over the fence more potentially the semantics of it, but uh, I think you really got to look at Manny going in as well just with his sheer numbers that he did put up uh, over 2500 hits you know the 555 home runs uh 1800 rbis sammy sosa especially as well uh kind of in the same same grouping as him uh i think you know Schilling will definitely be in um if i had a ballot uh also gary sheffield you know looping those guys in with manny and sammy it's really hard to argue with mm. the, the 509 home runs and you know the 292 average over you know that long of a career you know i also would lump in uh, i know we talked about him earlier omar Vizquel. then my final two um kind of two outliers uh really you know andrew jones i, I would absolutely say if you took the 10 years of Andrew Jones's career when he first started in Atlanta, we make comparisons to Mike Trout. Looking at truly those numbers, we we forget that you know he burst on the scene as a 19-year-old in the World Series, you know his first year. So you know he really did put up those numbers, comparable, and you know his defense was second to none. I think he won the Gold Glove almost every year for a full decade there in Atlanta. And then uh, my final one, I think, is going to be you know mm-hmm. this year's Larry Walker, to where you're going to see him start to garner some support is going to be Jeff Kent. And you look at his numbers, especially for a second baseman, in particular to his home run numbers, um, especially when you compare those, you know, not only against, you know, Ryan Sandberg, I think it is the great comparison, but, you know, they blow Sandberg's numbers out of the water. And I know, you know, the first part of his career, especially when, you know, he was with the Mets, you know, he changed his swing and he also, you know, did kind of change his body then as well. You know, could it be steroids? Could it not be steroids? But I think if you look at the parallels between him and Bonds, you know, Kent had a good six, seven year stretch to where, you know, he was in the MVP conversation almost every year, putting up between 35 and 110, 120 RBIs um, and really gave Bonds that protection to for, you know, looking at the baseball strategy, you know, hey, if you walked Bonds, Kent was going to get you. Ronnie, you're about uh, well, coming into it, you know, I would have definitely had Omar Vizquel and Torrey Hunter on there. 
But one person that I really was surprised is missing was Bobby Abreu. Like, I didn't realize how many of the top 20, top 10 he's in. I mean, I think he almost had a 300 batting average, and his he was, like, maybe, like, 30 away from 3,000 hits. Um, I think he got overlooked because of the teams he was on. I mean, I think, you know, I I remember him because just because um, I live in Philly territory. So I knew of Bobby Abreu. And then I remember him when he was with the um, Angels and playing the Orioles. But I never realized how what big numbers he puts in. So I think he definitely did want as my pick. And I would say, as much as I hate to, I feel like some of the steroid era guys, and I like the idea that someone said earlier, have them all go in together. I feel like maybe if we're going to put them in, put them all in the same year and just like them alone, because, you know, they can be lumped in and we can have that whole, because I know some people say put them in with the asterisks, but I feel like if you put them in the same year, you just kind of put them in that same year and we all know there is a little bit of question with them. Maybe if we're going to put them in, put Bonds and McGuire and even Sosa. I feel like Sosa kind of gets overlooked, even though he's part of it. I feel like, you know, people, when they say Sarah Aaron, they always say McGuire and Bonds and Schilling, but no one really brings up Sosa. And Sosa, I mean, when they had that, um, the home run um, thing, it was, that was such a big part of baseball, he and McGuire and how well they, you know, played off each other and how gracious they were. And so I think you kind of have to put that in. So if we're going to put them in, I have, I think it was a great idea to put them all in together and then just leave it at that. My ballot, here's what I'm going. You know, Bonds gets on my ballot. Plemons, Sheffield, Jeff Kent. I, I will go back to what Brandon was saying. You know, the thing is, he benefited from Bonds. But then again, Matt Williams also hit behind Bonds. So that's what makes me a little iffy about Jeff Kent because Jeff Kent, yeah, he has some MVP caliber numbers. He's not the greatest second baseman of all time. He won't be. Uh, there's plenty of other guys ahead of him. But, I, you know, he's a chance to get a Hall of Famer. But he, he, he is a name. And he was part of that Astros team that went to the World Series the first time in 05. But those guys, I, I you know. I don't see the appeal of Scott Rowland. I was looking at it. I thought he was more Mike Schmidt-like or even, you know, or, you know, lower-level Brooks Robinson-like. I don't know. Uh, he was a salty reputation. Got himself traded out of St. Louis. Got himself traded out of Philly and all those things. That's why I'm sort of eh, on the border with him. Biscale, I know we're going to talk about that domestic violence thing, but think about it. If he doesn't get in... You know, Bonds won't get in. There's a bunch of other guys in. I thought there were some rumors about Torrey Hunter. I don't know. Then, you know, down the road, Miguel Cabrera is going to be ringing, and that's going to be pretty bad, too. So if you do that for one, you're going to end up doing it for all. Schilling in his mouth, he'll get in, but I, I dread to see the speech that he's going to do, especially in this in this very tough climate. I can't go with Sosa just because just the Capitol Hill thing is just – you know, you see Palmero, you think of Schilling, you think of McGuire, you think of Sammy Sosa not knowing how to speak English again. That's the thing that sticks out for me. And, I mean, again, that's the situation. Andrew Jones, oh, that's another that's another peak player where that's a very weird, like, Dale Murphy type thing where he just fell off a cliff again for his career. But, okay, so my ballot, uh, as I'm going off, I'm going to say Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, Viscal. Wagner, Sheffield, Jeff Kent. That's that's pretty much it. Benny, I didn't want to forget you. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh basically a very quick ballot. It would be um, steroid era players, which would be Clemens, Bonds, and also Sheffield. I think everyone. I don't know if you can think about, it, but like Sheffield had the most violent swing of anyone. He's like the guy that I thought mm-hmm. would kill somebody, like with a foul ball, especially before they um, extended the netting. He almost hit a home. Run. He almost mm-hmm. hit a foul ball out of the old Yankee Stadium. I mean, that's how violent his swing was. But 500 home runs, and I think that 
you know, that, that should mean something. And, and I don't think he ever, he was never caught. So, and he didn't testify on Capitol Hill like Sammy Sosa did. So I think that's why I don't put Sammy Sosa in there. I think Brandon like talked about uh, Jeff Kent. I think Jeff Kent should be in the Hall of Fame. A really good hitting second baseman. 2000 MVP in the National League. Uh, he played with Bonds. He and Bonds didn't get along. And it's possible if they had stayed together in 2003, they might have won a World Series together. Um, and he hit where he went. He got traded from the World Champion Blue Jays to the really crappy Rico Bronia Mets in like 94. Um, so he kept that Mets team. He got better, went to San Francisco. He went to LA. He went to um, Houston. He, he won everywhere he went. And uh, yeah, offensive second baseman, there's not a lot of them. So I think Jeff Kent deserves praise. And I, I don't know about the steroids allegations. I know he didn't get along with some players, so that could hurt him. But I think Jeff Kent and then Bobby Brady is like the um, the sabermetric uh, choice. Very uh, sneakingly good. And uh, you know what sucks is he, he had his career at that time. He, he was on the Phillies when they sucked in the early 2000s. He was on the Yankees when they weren't winning World Series. 2009, he leaves the Yankees. Yankees won the World Series. So, you know, maybe it was the curse of Mike Messina or the curse of Bobby Abreu. But I think those would be the five on the eligible list. Again, I really appreciate you guys for being here as we wrap this up. We'll just go around the horn. Anybody have any shout outs where, where people can find you? Anything going on, Ben? Oh, well, first, um, like I said in the beginning, it's just nice to talk to you guys. I, I haven't seen a lot of you for a long time, so it was just nice to actually physically look at you guys <laughs> instead of just through Facebook or social media. I do a podcast with uh, my friends uh, Brad and – well, Earl's on there sometimes too, but uh, Brad and Keith. It's called Movies and Meal. So if you type it in, you know, we're on iTunes and Stitcher and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, so we talk about movies and other things – you know, once a week and, uh, you know, we have guest stars and any of you guys who want to, you want to join in, you know, we'll find a place for you if you want to talk, but, um, yeah, that's me. But again, it's just, it's good to talk to you guys, even though I'm just staring at like the Rand's black screen. And for most of the time, it was just this, I think it was a subtle flex, it was just his arm. I know you were flexing Thran, I know you guys, but, uh, it was good I've been to trying to fix, I just gave up on it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just want to see your bicep. I know. I, I see you. Thoran? <laughs> well, in addition to the flex, uh, uh, it's just been great um, just, just talking baseball. Uh, I love talking baseball. I could talk baseball all day, all night. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite things uh, in life. Keeps me going. It's good to see you all. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting three of you for the first time. So welcome to the network. Uh, I enjoy talking. And uh, talking with you and sharing ideas with y'all. And yeah, I, I look forward to, to doing uh, something like this again. I don't really have anything going down on social media. Uh, my um, my name here is uh, at Sparky underscore McGriddleCakes. Uh, you know, I may have one post. I'm kind of active on Twitter. Um, I'm at uh, Lugots. Uh, I think that's my Twitter name, Lugots. Uh, or at Theranimal or something like that. I'm a little more active on there. I post a little more on there, just random ideas. I think uh, I posted some earlier uh, talking about how, you know, if organizations are, are able to tank, then why can't James Harden do him, you know? Like, what's the big deal? And at the end of the day, everybody's looking out for their own skin. But that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, this, has been, uh, this has been a pleasure, y'all. Vinny? Yeah, Earl, thank you for having me on your show. Um, and great to meet all your friends here. Um, you know, I guess Earl, Earl and I are sports jeopardy fraternity, so it's uh, 
it's an endangered species. You know, it's as time goes on, uh, we're somewhere on YouTube or Crackle or something like that. You know, it's still around. But um, yeah, I appreciate it. I always enjoy it. Baseball's number one sport in my heart. Um, you know, it's a lot of changes, and I don't know if it's for the best of baseball, but um, I think baseball's timeless. So I always appreciate it. Um, social media, I'm on Twitter at Exit130. Um, so that's like the exit I grew up on in New Jersey on the Parkway. Um, I also have a um, YouTube like channel called Cap of the Week, C-A-P. It's where I talk about my baseball caps. Um, so these are the caps that were featured on today's uh, podcast. Um, so um, Very you know, nice. uh, check it out, Cap of the Week. Um, I've not posted in quite a long time. I should probably put some more videos since I have some good cap videos. And uh, yeah, no, I enjoy the aesthetics of baseball caps, but um, my Twitter is usually more like related to like sports or recently politics living in DC, but always appreciate the shout out Earl. And thanks again uh, for having me. Oh yeah. I said Vinny, you and Ben should do something with hats and jerseys. Vinny, we should have a hat off. Maybe when I get a haircut. (laughs) Wait, how many hats do you have? It's probably more than 200. Yeah. Yeah. I, we could, we're going to hijack it a little bit, but, you know, I, I have one of those, I have those hat club duffels, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, yeah, I've, I've um, got like an Ikea. And they, they, run about, they run about 30 a piece. You nice. can put about 30 hats in there a piece. Nice, I, I have so, like yeah, a, that's probably a shelf that I, I, I rotate the hats, but um, yeah, it's 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 not yeah, easy we, to collect, like, it's it's too many hats, but at this point, I just, if, if you have a Boston yeah. Braves cap, hit me up, I, I'm looking for a Boston Braves cap. <laughs> yeah, you know what, I'll send you a DM, maybe we can, maybe we can do some, depending on what our hat sizes are, but sorry, all right, it's late, I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. <laughs> just chilling and hanging out with family. Ronnie? It was like, I really enjoyed today. I mean, anytime I get to talk about baseball, you know, I don't have too many people in my life who want to talk about baseball. So anytime I can get to talk, and it was very interesting. I learned a lot. Um, you guys are awesome. And that, yeah, it was very fun. And Brandon? Vinny and Ben, you'll you'll be happy to know my girlfriend just said I, I didn't think there was people like you out there, but uh, I might be the love child you both in the jersey and hat category. So uh, if you guys do a jersey off, I want in. Um, right. But uh, with with that, uh, you know, Ben and Earl, obviously, uh, this brings me back to uh, the arguments that uh, broke out in the Shorebirds press box, usually, somehow, over yeah, the most random arguments of baseball lore and uh, stats and what uh, minor leaguers were going to make it to the show. I- I'd have to go back, and if I can see any of our notes from, from years past, uh, to see if any of us were actually right. Uh, but with that, you know, obviously, guys uh, – you know, from my perspective uh, up here in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, uh, I actually do a, a big charity event coming up here uh, with the Walk for Healthy Community. So we do uh, seven walks across the state of Delaware and uh, Pennsylvania uh, to help out about 260 nonprofits. So uh, I would just say, you know, check that out online. Um, you know, I'll post a uh, link up on my Twitter at uh, Brandon Burns, um, but you can uh, easily find that. All the money goes directly back to these organizations. Uh, last year, uh, even though we were virtual, we raised about a million dollars uh, for these organizations. So uh, anything you guys could do to potentially uh, look at that, that'd be awesome. Really enjoyed tonight. You know, been stuck in the house pretty much here uh, with everything going on. But uh, glad to be able to to chat on baseball. And Earl, if you ever want me back, I'm more than happy to jump back on with you guys. Um, but finally, you know, with everything going on in the world, uh, everybody on the call, stay safe out there, mask up, and uh, let's go Mets. 
I'd like to thank Ben, Theran, Vinny, Jeff, Ronnie, and Brandon for being on the show. Next time, my feature with Cortez James, who will discuss what it's like being a recruiter and a coach and helping kids to get to play athletics on the collegiate level. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.